0: You're listening to a Bellingcat Discord server stage talk titled Far Right Symbols. The talk features Michael Colborn, the lead of Bellingcat's Far Right Monitoring Project. Michael spoke to us about a recent article in which he wrote about how to identify and understand far right symbols found online. The stage talk was hosted by Giancarlo Fiorella on the Bellingcat Discord server on April 13th, 2023. We are joined today by Michael Coborn, who's here to talk to us about how to interpret far-right symbols on the internet and I suppose elsewhere as well. Michael heads up Bellingcat.
1: Unfortunately, wherever we see them.
0: <laughs> yes, wherever they may be. Michael heads up Bellingcat's work on researching and investigating the international far-right. He's written extensively on the far-right in Central and Eastern Europe, especially over the last few years, although his focus is not exclusively in this region. Michael is particularly interested in far-right communications and how far-right extremists propagandize and try to spread and promote their ideas. Michael is also the current Reigning geoguesser champion on the Bellingcat Twitch channel, Michael. Thank you
1: so much for being with us today. Oh, that's right. I, I did I did win I did win the last round yesterday. I forgot about that. It, 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 that's biased though, because there were locations that were in central and eastern Europe, so I was able to un, to fortunately or unfortunately uh, pick them out. So uh, thanks for that intro, Giancarlo. And uh, I'll get started by. For people who ha- may may not have seen the article that I wrote about, it was last week, actually. Um, I don't know if it is shared link-wise or maybe dropped in the chat, but uh, it could be if you want to look at the article while I'm talking that uh, it might actually be interesting and helpful because I, I, I'm not just going to be going through and, like, recapping the article because, well... I wrote the article so people could read it. I'm not just going to read it out, but I'm going to discuss some of what I talk about in the article, uh, a few other things or related things that I may not have directly talked about in the article, but also I think really talk about why I feel that symbols when it comes to the far right are something that really, that we really, all of us really need to, I guess, pay more attention to and understand why. Symbols are so important. So the, if people are interested in a little bit of background as to where, you know, where I got the idea for this article or you know, where, where, where the genesis of it is, uh, it comes from, uh, from two places. One is with some of the work that uh, we've done with the, with the far-right uh, research and investigations over the past two years is we have been giving... Uh, Trainings and workshops to journalists and researchers across, well, not just Central and Eastern Europe, and certainly not just journalists and researchers. We've also uh, done some training sessions and, and seminars with scholars as well. The, the first uh, sort of motivation for writing this article this actually comes from, it was the, the, the genesis of this article, rests in. Uh, Some of the slides that I actually have been using for some of that training and some of the trainings that we've done, uh, there's been, uh, I give uh, sort of an hour or more, uh, you know, background on, I think the, the title of the slide deck, I can't even remember exactly what it is. Oh, Making Sense of the Far Right. That is the title that I have for that slide deck. And part of what I have in that slide deck is... You know a few slides and a discussion of how we should and shouldn't interpret and understand the far right symbols that we see in open source research, or what we think might be far right symbols in in the course of doing uh, open source research. So that the 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 primary genesis, I guess, for this article was coming out of those slides where in giving some of these trainings i saw how receptive people were to the content how interested people were in it but also how much more i still needed to get into it so i thought <laughs> i'm going to turn this into an article so simple idea and the second one of the second motivations for doing this article is the way if you if you've read the article or if you have the article up right now uh, you can see the way that I I've written the article, the, the lead for the article, talking about a uh, kind of a stereotypical image that we often have of of the far right, and it was because uh, our colleague uh, Tristan had shared on the far right monitoring Discord channel. I of course recognize many names from not just that uh, that channel but other channels as well. And kind of shared. Oh, look! And actually, I think Tristan, if, if you're listening, I don't know if you're here or not. Uh, but we, you also shared something a few days ago. Another sort of a kind of stereotypical image of what the far right looks like. Of what what we often think, you know, oh, this this is what somebody on the far right looks like. Somebody with a shaved head, a swastika literally tattooed on their head, in front of a swastika flag. But part of why I think we really Need to focus more on understanding far right symbolism is because most of the far right across most of our societies, they they're usually much more subtle than this, and they're they're not they're not quite as blunt as the the stereotypical image that we have of them would suggest. Uh, with some exceptions to. Be there, most of, most of the far right extremists that we might come across are not actually flying around swastika flags giving hitler salutes and and the like some do i'm sure that we can find enough examples of them but for the vast the majority of them do not and that's what makes it much more difficult to understand why the far right uses the symbols that they do is because there's an element, much there's a much greater degree of complexity and game playing that than we might realize at first. I'll talk a bit more about that later, but just to, before I get into some of so what the key things that I want to talk about, one there's a few. If you're if you're sitting there or you know hypo, you or maybe a hypothetical person is uh you know sitting there and thinking well why why should we uh pay attention to uh you know far-right symbols or why, why do you think symbols matter this much i i won't i don't want to bring this too much into some sort of like theory discussion or like we're in a graduate seminar or sociology or political science which is what my background is in um or, or anything like that but Symbols are not symbols. Symbols really matter, and they don't just matter for the far right. They matter for myself. They matter for Giancarlo. And they they matter for every single one of you listening right now. They, the symbols that you are that you have some sort of emotional reaction to, emotional connection to the symbols that you yourself might wear literally you might have them tattooed on your body they're symbols that are evocative to you of maybe your national or religious or cultural or subcultural belonging but they're not just a reflection of who you are symbols actually have the power to honestly to help create identity they are something for us to focus our energies around. There's something for us to emotionally become stimulated by and there, there's something that allows us to communicate with, to bond with, to to form connections with other human beings. And that goes, they can go all the way from you know, you're traveling in a, four, if, if you're say like me and Giancarlo, if you're a Canadian and you're you know you're traveling for the first time, and in, in in Europe, you know you're in Amsterdam for the first time, and you think it's you think it's incredibly strange and scary. It's not, but whatever. And you know you you, you there's just something unfamiliar. But then you see somebody else, maybe with. Not even just a a Canadian flag pin or something like that, but they've got like, uh, I'll go all the way to my hometown with this one. You see somebody with like an Edmonton Oilers shirt or logo on and immediately that symbol, even if it, you know, a symbol that seems superficial, like a sports team symbol or, you know, something that's symbolic of a, a very specific sort of regional or city identity, feel a bit of connection to that right away. And this applies, like I said, really think, like, as you're listening now, really think about some of the symbols, not just that you are, that you respond to, or that, that, that you use, or maybe you're like, like I have tattooed on your body, but think about, you know, we don't need to, to name them all, but think about the kinds of symbols that absolutely disgust you, the ones that really, that you react negatively to, that, that, that piss you off, you know. I think some of you can imagine what some of those symbols are for me. But uh, then if you're here listening, well, they probably are a lot of the same for you. But that's one thing I wanted to underscore without diving too much into a boring theory understanding of why symbols are important and why symbols matter is, well, they matter to all of us, not just the far right. But when it comes specifically to the far right, why, the, why should we pay particularly close attention to the kinds of symbols that they use well it's if if we don't pay close attention co- close constant attention to the kinds of symbols that the far right uses and the ways that they change over time as i made clear in the article and as i'll discuss a bit later as well we we really risk not understanding who they are what they're all about we risk not understanding what they what they believe in what they what they want to achieve we if if we treat their symbols as you know unimportant or we don't pay attention to them we don't monitor them we don't analyze them we don't we, we don't situate them in you know a comparative context like we don't compare if we don't consider the kinds of symbols that a far right Group uses in the U.S. and then realize there's connections to ones that have, that are being used in Europe. If we don't compare them, we miss out on knowledge. If we don't compare them time wise, we miss out on something. If we don't research the origins, even if they're contradictory, origins of a symbol that one might that a far right group or individual might use, we miss we miss we miss potentially can really miss something and the the far right, as I'll talk about and as I think I've made clear in the article, there is the far right really deliberately uses symbols in a uses symbols and communicates in a very deliberate way to try to mainstream its ideas and there's a quote that I have in my notes here. I'm just going to pull it up. It is a quote from somebody who I would would not call some sort of brilliant far-right theorist. Uh, he's somebody who I've written about several times before, and he's somebody who uh, was... Finally uh, arrested on March thirty first in uh in Romania. I'm talking about American far right extremist Robert Rundo. He, you know, he like us, you know, he's he's not some intellectual heavyweight, to put it politely. But sometimes in some of the the podcast interviews that he's given, because he's so well simple and straight talking, sometimes and I joke this when I talk about him specifically he's he's very good at saying the quiet parts out loud you know he says things that other people on the far right won't quite say in quite the same way and in some podcast interview he gave in november he, he 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 said he gave this this quote this series of quotes and i've got it condensed a little bit here and this i i had it highlighted and put in like Giant bold point font in my in my notes as to you know why why this is an important quote this is this was Rundo talking about uh, why why he feels it's important to engage in what he calls in street what engage in what he calls street activism, so putting up graffiti with with obviously certain kinds of symbols uh engage you know making far right fashion so Putting these kinds of symbols on t shirts. And what he says, and this is, I'm quoting him now, he says this. I think people, I'm not going to read it in his accent or his manner of speaking. So unfortunately, if you're looking for some acting chops for me, you're not going to get it. Okay. I think people get really confused about the point of street activism. The point is to normalize it, the point of it is to make fascism and nationalism. Something that you see while you're walking to go get a fucking cup of coffee. It's to make it normal. And he goes on to say some young kid, when he does get introduced to our ideas, to him, maybe it's not going to seem so crazy anymore. You know, when you start talking about Jews or something, maybe it won't seem far out. Or maybe if you start talking about white pride, it won't be this like crazy, ridiculous topic because, you know, he's seen it written on the streets everywhere when he sees a, a Celtic cross in school and they say it's a hate symbol, maybe he won't be so shocked by it because he's seen like 10 of them tagged up around his neighborhood. So that's when people, if, if, if you or somebody who's not listening would want to ask me, why, why focus on far-right symbols? Mr. Rundo has just told us why we should. And it's because they are deliberately used, trying to use symbols as a way to as part of a communication strategy to mainstream their ideas, so with that that context kind of given in mind, uh, what I'll go through now with without belaboring the point too much about uh, you know some of the introduction is if you in looking at far right symbols, which obviously a lot of my work at Bellingant involves. Whether I want to or not involves a far right symbol flashing, not just across my computer screen, but across my, you know, across my camera lens, because I do do a lot more photography these days, it may not be public yet, but, you know, taking pictures of graffiti, of stickers, of far right symbols in public places. And what I, as I thought about this, these issues, say, over the, you know, over the past year or more. I tried to, especially as I got into trying to, you know, doing some of the trainings that we were doing. What I wanted to do was reduce, you know, reduce the approach, approaching how to interpret a far right symbol, reducing it down to its core elements. And part of what I deliberately did not want to do with this article or other kinds of articles is present some sort of like encyclopedia on. Far right images, because as I a, as a link to in the article, there are some excellent English language uh, resources, but there are also resources available in other languages. Some of them are not as comprehensive as others, but if you want to know what a far right, there are there are more encyclopedic places. But what I wanted to do with this article is kind of reduce reduce it down to somewhat of a method, and I reduced it down to three keys that you should keep in mind when you're interpreting a far-right symbol or what you think is a far-right symbol. And these are questions that I ask myself. They are they're questions that I have in an order, but you don't need to ask them in this order. But sometimes it's going to be naturally in this order. But these are the sorts of three key questions that I would keep in mind. And the first question is, well, it seems a bit obvious, what is the what? What is the symbol? You know, if you think, or you you think you, being polite here, you strongly suspect that what you're seeing is a far right symbol. You know, you're you're in a particular city and you see uh, a a swastika graffitied up on a wall with the words 1488 on it. You know, that's. You don't probably don't need to do a lot of research if you're interested in the far right to understand, oh, this is the symbol that I'm looking at." But what the far right likes to do is use a lot more obscure symbols, or even co-opted national symbols, or they use symbols that, as I'll talk about a bit more later, they use symbols that actually have ambiguous meanings. And you know, the, the far right can use obscure symbols. Maybe draw in other national contexts that maybe you're not going you're not going to know, for example, maybe in an English language context in sphere context for lack of a better word you know if if somebody at a far right event is using some very specific uh far right imagery drawn from the western Balkans, you know not everybody in the English speaking world is going to know you know, who Draza Mikhailovich's face is, or is going to know who the Ustasha was and what, a, what, what the Ustasha you looks like. But if you do a bit of research, maybe you'll know what, you know what they mean and why they're being used in that context. But the far right also likes to use co-opted national symbols. One of the symbols that I, I mentioned very briefly in the article is coming from Canada, is something called the Patriot flag. And... This, it, within just the last few years, that's, it's, uh, it's it, it, if you haven't seen it, it's a flag that actually kind of looks like the Hungarian flag, those colors, and it's from the uh, the rebellions in the 1830s and 1840s in Canada and in what's now Quebec. That's a symbol that had been, you know, certainly non-extremist uses in the past, and even in the recent past, it was used a lot by some Quebec sovereigntists or separatists, but you're seeing it a lot more now at far-right or conspiracy sort of events in Canada, like the trucker protests. I spend most of my life now outside of my home country, but I'm well aware of those kinds of things that have gone on. It even gets to the point where, you know, even back in Canada, but also this is, I'll go to a different part of the world with an example I was talking about. With these, the specific slides that I was talking about at the beginning that like, you know kind of form the genesis of this article, uh, we, I was in uh, Poland in Warsaw giving, some, giving training to, to some journalists uh, and researchers there and we, we were talking about this exact issue: how the far right in that country in Poland uh, you know co-ops national symbols even just the white and red Polish flag. And the some of the journalists there told me that over the, over the past several years, to, to some degree, the people, people who flew the Polish flag, you know, much more publicly or like had it on their car or something like that, they were increasingly being seen as maybe not far-right extremists. But if, in other words, if you had that flag, if you were flying your country's national flag there's a good good chance much better chance than 10 years ago that you were you know more much more right wing and more nationalist in your views that's you've actually started to see that in, in Canada as well where you know several years ago i'd seen much more frequent you know much more frequent flying of canadian flags on trucks and cars but ironically you don't see a lot of you don't see as much of it now cuz people rightly or wrongly, associated with the, with the truckers' protests and other, other sorts of, uh, you know, far-right-related uh, uh, instances like that. So the far-right is, is more than happy to try to co-opt even a country's normal, mainstream, official national symbols. But it also applies to, you know, fascist slogans like the Menefrego, uh, Italian fascist slogan that I ha that I mentioned in the article. It can include codes like the H well an H H or 14 or things like that and, and other sorts of other sorts of colors. And uh I, I I I don't have a I don't have much of a chance right now to scroll through the chat, but uh, I did quickly glance at the chat and uh you know somebody I, I believe did mention that you know neo Nazis in places like Germany and Austria have to do much more game playing with the symbols they use because for some obvious reasons, there are laws against flying some very, very specific symbols and flags in those countries. So that's why a lot of the times when you're identifying what you think might be a far right symbol, it's not going to be obvious. And I think the most important thing is actually leading into the second question. First, we talk, you first ask the what? Then the next is kind of who, when, and where. In other words, the context. And like I say in the article, I'll be the first to admit that saying, oh, context is everything, is maybe the biggest cliche in the world, but, or one of them, but it's true. Because if you are trying to understand far-right symbolism, or what you think is a far-right symbol like maybe you've seen on social media, maybe you think you've seen it on a sticker or a piece of graffiti, in your city or town if you're judging that symbol outside of context you're you're not doing it right and frankly you're doing it completely wrong symbols no symbol exists outside of a social context and again I'm sorry to make it that it you know maybe sound like I'm going into a theory seminar again but uh, I really have to stress that and it really comes into play when when you're trying to interpret and understand far-right symbolism is what else is around it? You know, where if I I see a piece of what I think might be far-right graffiti, where is it? Am I seeing it on a wall and there are other symbols around? Are there other symbols in the neighborhood? If it's on a social media page, are there other pictures like it? Because, well, to be honest, when people when people display far-right symbols, well, they usually don't just display one. You know, you'll know, you see, if somebody has one tattoo that you think is a far-right symbol, there's a good chance they've got more. And there's a good chance you'll be able to see them within you know a split second. You need to, add, in order to assess a far-right symbol in context, you really need to ask yourself, like I said, where it is. You need to assess who's communicating it. Is it somebody who self identifies as far right, or is there something a bit off about it? Is there something like, oh, i didn't this doesn't these there's something not right here about this person displaying what I think might be a far right symbol. They don't seem to have anything else that that uh, suggests they have those those views. If it's a piece of media when when if you can tell when was it photographed or filmed like is is it an old image? Is it new? Is it around a certain event? These are all techniques that you can obviously use digital investigative techniques for. And one of the key, in assessing the who, when, and where, understanding these symbols and context, one of the key examples that I give in the article with just a handful of paragraphs, which could be an entire dissertation unto itself, is how the far right likes to, or elements of the far right, shall we say. Like to use co-opted Norse or pagan imagery, but also quote unquote Norse or quote unquote pagan imagery. I think somebody in the uh, if in the far right monitoring channel, I don't, I, I apologize, I don't recall who, maybe you know, mentioned something in in the chat that you know that the symbol that I have in the article is you know which is called a um, I'll mispronounce it called a Vegvisir, which looks almost like a snowflake but it's like a wayfinder type symbol uh that person hi if if you're listening um pointed out like okay that's actually not like some sort of ancient symbol that's something that is from iceland and was you know started to be used in like the 19th century and it's like that's that's absolutely true but it what makes it incredibly challenging especially looking at some of this co-opted pagan or norse imagery is that there are symbols that, especially from certain subcultures or parts of the far right, that they absolutely love to use. And you will see them, say, tattooed on them. I use the Vegvasir as an example because that was one. That's a symbol that I've encountered for many, but tattooed or worn by many far right extremists across, especially Central and Eastern Europe, but definitely beyond. But I've also seen it tattooed on somebody. Who was avowedly not part of the far right, and we got—I got to have a long conversation, a friend of a friend, a long conversation about, hey, I, whenever I see that symbol, I'm so used to seeing it in an extremist context, but you're not. Can you can can you tell me a bit about this? So, without belaboring too much the the Norse imagery question, that's like 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 seeing somebody that say has a hammer of Thor, uh, you know pendant or something like that or some or using some sort of symbolism like that if you're going to point at that and say oh i've also seen far-right people wearing those this person part of the far right too i mean you could really be making some pretty silly mistakes because i think any I, i'm not cool enough to watch uh, many movies or tv but I, I do know there's enough uh or or video games for that matter ironically enough saying that on discord but there are there's enough Norse and pagan imagery in the mainstream cultures of all of our, you know, all of our popular cultures that if you're going to go around saying, "Oh, I saw a far-right extremist with a, a leg tattoo too," they must be a far-right extremist too. Well, you could be very wrong, and that leads into the third question and the hardest question I think is understanding the why. Why is this person displaying what I think might be a far-right symbol? Why am I seeing this? At this specific time or place, is it something that's being communicated? Like, who's the target audience? If there is a target audience to the uh, to what you're seeing, is it meant to be members of the general public? Is it meant to be people who are, who are already part of the group or adherents of the ideology? Is it to kind of intimidate perceived adversaries or enemies? Is it a display of identity, like say having some of these symbols tattooed on your body or worn on a, on a, on a, on a far right fashion brand's t-shirt. That's where, but this is also where it gets very tricky in terms of establishing intent, because for, well, for one, just because, and just because you see somebody with a symbol that you associate with far right extremism, doesn't mean that that person is displaying it on purpose there's an example i didn't mention in the article i'm just looking quickly on another tab here uh it's actually uh, from the Ukra- from ukraine where the you know the, the black sun symbol uh i'm not going to explain what the black sun is we can have a we can discuss that later uh but it it's you know it's a it's a it's a far right symbol it is something that is worn by the far right certainly not just in ukraine and not just in russia but in other places as well and it's something that, for the most part, I would say, or confidently say, it's almost you know, always associated with the far right. It's a symbol that the Christchurch terrorist had, multiple, actually, far-right terrorists have had on the cover of their manifestos. And there's an article by, actually, a, a, a left-leaning, uh, to put it politely, a left-leaning uh, activist in Ukraine uh, was being interviewed for an article, and he said you know that with uh that he was serving in in a small unit fighting fighting against uh russia fighting against russian forces in you know over the past year or more and he said that in in the unit that he was serving in uh there was a guy who had put a black sun symbol on and just kind of didn't know what it meant just kind of thought, okay this looks cool you know this is you know it, it's a war. you There's a reason those kinds of patches are called morale patches. So I thought, oh, this looks badass. You know, I'll put this on. But apparently, somebody else in the unit kind of explained to him was like, "Hey, do you know where this symbol like comes from? This is here's the," it said he showed them the Wikipedia article. This is what it signifies. And that person was like, "Oh, I didn't know that." And they took they took the uh the black sun patch off. Now, if if there had been a photograph of that individual. With their face exposed, with that patch on, and we assumed that oh, he's wearing this patch because he is, you know, far right extremist. Well, in this case, we would have been very wrong. Is this, does this kind of thing happen that often? Maybe not, but it's important to understand that as best you can to understand the possible intent of why somebody has or hasn't worn a symbol. And the the, the last point that I'll talk about before breaking off for what I imagine are enough questions to probably fill up another hour. Um, It's really key to stress that intent is not, it's not a binary thing. It's not either or. The far right is not, there is this concept called, quote unquote, calculated ambivalence by an Austrian scholar, Ruth Wodak. I'll also, in a second, I'll give some book recommendations too. She calls it calculated ambivalence, and she calls it, I quote this in the article, the strategy, strategy of addressing multiple and contradictory audiences via a single cleverly layered message. Without belaboring the point too much, within the context of the far right, and especially the extremely online far right, that means that the far right can simultaneously claim, oh, they're trolling, we're just trolling by using the symbol, for example, the OK hand symbol but then at the same time it can be deadly serious to a different audience. So it there is always a double message at play or more than just double. If you see if you see a far right symbol there the person or the group displaying that they could have several intentions behind that. Some some of it could be to you, you can you can look at the double message in 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 a certain way. You can say that a far right extremist use of a particular soul is just a coincidence. Oh, they didn't know what it meant. Oh, it happens to also be used by these other people. Or you can at the same time see it as as having some sort of more uh, more extreme meaning. It can be both extreme it can be both serious and trolling at the same time. It can be both serious and unserious at the same time. And the far right as those of you who follow and research and are interested in understanding the far right. No, the far right is all about doing doing and believing contradictory things, of holding contradictory concepts in their head at the same time. And this really comes into play with when it comes to symbolism, where they can simultaneously say, oh, that symbol that you think is an extremist symbol, that's not an extremist symbol at all. But no, we, we don't want to ban that symbol because that's our symbol know they can they can say oh we're just trolling by using this symbol it's an ancient slavic swast it's an ancient slavic sun symbol it's an ancient sun symbol but to our followers it means something very specific uh maybe i haven't explained that that well here i think i'll probably explain it a bit better in the article but to conclude off before breaking for questions um jim carlo might have the links that i sent for uh for for um, book recommendations, one is called "The Extreme Gone Mainstream" by Cynthia Miller Idris, who Doctor Cynthia Miller Idris. These people go and get PhDs, which I don't have, so I should not be forgetting their their titles. Uh, "The Extreme Gone Mainstream," I believe she published it in 2018. She's published a book more recently, but I think this one is much more interesting because what this book is about exploring. The use of symbols and especially far right fashion, very specifically in Germany. And there's some really interesting revelations in there, really interesting insights about how far right youth play games with symbols. And frankly, a lot of my philosophical understanding that underpins this article and how I approach this issue comes from reading her book. So I would highly recommend picking that up, and you'll see right away oh, Michael was very influenced by this. I'll put that right out there. Uh, a second good read is by Ruth Wodak, came out in 2015, uh, about far uh, right wing populism, and it's called "The Politics of Fear: What Right Wing Populist Discourses Mean." Uh, that I think is it's a, both of these are scholarly books, but they're very readable. Uh, this is I've, I've seen this Wodak's book in in bookstores. And I would recommend that as well. And a third book, a smaller book, and actually a bit kind of off the wall, relatively, because I had only come across this a few months ago. It's uh, by a Slovenian uh, scholar, um, not Slavoj Žižak, don't worry, uh, by, his name is Mitya Velikonja, And the book is called The Chosen Few, Aesthetics and Ideology in Football Fan Graffiti and Street Art. It is not just about the far right. Frankly, most of it is not about the far right. But and it's got pictures in it, too, because he's kind of like me, maybe more so than me, seems to be, Mr. Dr. Veliconia seems to be quite a nerd, and I mean that in the nicest possible way in terms of photographing and analyzing um, symbolism used in football fan graffiti and street art, which crosses over a lot into the far right, and there are some very interesting discussions that he has in that book. It's not, it's, it, it'll just take, it's not a very long book, um, frankly, with it, without because it's got a lot of pictures in it it's it's quite a short read but if you can find that as well i would recommend it um and i believe i i i hope i've explained as best i can for some of these uh some of these things that i talked about it maybe didn't explain the uh um the some some of the uh stuff at the end as well as i would have liked but that's why the article is here uh so that is all that i have i think i've got uh Around 35, 40 minutes, Giancarlo. You didn't have to, you didn't have to uh, in, interrupt me to tell me to shut up. So I figure that's that that must be a good thing, right?
0: Yeah, you're right on time. So thank you for, for doing that. Um, oh, yes. we are precisely at time. So thanks, uh, Michael, for that really interesting cool. talk. Uh, we do have a bunch of questions here, and friends, if you're listening to this and you want to ask a question, now's the time to do it. We have about uh, let's say twenty minutes. Um, just put your question in the chat, and I'll read it to Michael, and then Michael will answer it. We have a couple here that I've been collecting while you were speaking, Michael, and again, thanks mm-hmm. for that talk. It's always really fascinating to hear you talk about this uh, this topic. We have a question here from uh, uh, a, <clears throat> a community member called Judah Hackaby, and uh, they are asking, Michael, to what extent Are the far right deliberately and systematically using silly symbols to try to make anti-fascists look silly when calling them out? An example that I can think of is that um, when the extreme right wing people were talking about Bunny Waffen um, kind of recently on Gab. But this is anecdotal research enjoyer who's also in the chat. Hello, research enjoyer. They said, hey, kind of like Pantifa, maybe. Uh, another term that I'm not familiar with. <laughs> Perhaps you are. So what do you think about this far-right folks on purpose using silly symbols kind of, uh, uh, to kind of make people who call them out themselves maybe feel or look a little bit silly?
1: Yeah. They they absolutely do that. And before, before I even opened my mouth, I saw a gal over in the chat there. They say they use this often in, in, often and in use memes from what I noticed. And I would very much agree with that. I, I use the, the OK symbol as an example in the article of a, a very use, useful, in terms of understanding, useful example to understand how, how the far right likes to play this, play this game, where they will, there are, I think, many cases, sometimes in some very, very specific subcultural contexts. Where they're deliberately using things that are silly, things that are stupid, things that maybe are funny, and things that are you know using memes to you know, to to talk about things in a way that if if you whether you're you know a journalist like myself, a researcher a scholar, or like the example question if you're an activist, if you consider yourself an activist, trying to counter counter that in your own way. The they deliberately try to do this to yeah to make you look stupid to make you say how could you possibly you know you, well look all these all these all these journalists are offended by bunny waff and what a bunch of weirdos they they there are de- I I would just say yeah that's definitely something that I see I see it in diff in some of the different contexts that I look at, but you do especially see it in sort of an English language English language dominated uh online context but i think the trick if there is a trick to when these situations come up is to well for lack of a better word try to deconstruct what they're doing saying okay like don't play their game which is to it's basically what you should i'm not explaining it well but just collecting my thoughts here as my tongue trips over me what what you should do is deconstruct why deliberately why they're using freaking bunny waffen or other sorts of silly obscure things to kind of cloak their ideas and to try to make you to make you look silly. Feel like this is what they actually mean because this is what they say when we think we're not paying attention. This is what they say in their own chats about it. It's a, one of the key things to do is to is to um unpack this concept of double speak, which the far right uses, which is a, you know, there's, there's front stage that they project to the public, but there is much more of a backstage as well. The key is to the extent that you can understand the message that is communicated backstage. There's much more I could talk about that, but I hope that kind of answers the question, which is basically, yes, it definitely exists. Thanks for that,
0: Michael. We have uh, a couple of other questions here. Uh, one from uh, I always say this incorrectly, and I apologize because uh, you're often in these talks, and um, I should learn how to say your name properly. I think it's Wojtek the Bear. Hi, Wocek. Uh And their question is: Do you have any advice, Michael, for left-wing groups that are looking to reappropriate national imagery? I feel like it's a poor decision to just
1: leave that to the far right. I would say that's that's a question that 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 is not that i mean you specifically talk about left wing groups in this context i think this applies to anybody any sort of political or non-political group who is opposed to far right extremism is but i think it's an issue that a lot of countries and cultures grapple with now you I, I saw your name voitech i'm going to assume you, you can correct me if i'm wrong but i'm going to assume because of the voitech the bare reference that you may be from Poland or familiar with Poland. And I'm just thinking of what I know of the Polish context or comparing it to other countries that I might know a bit better. And I think, I, I don't think there's an easy answer, but I think you identify something that is key, which is, and it's, even though in your question, you, you talk specifically about, you know, left-wing groups, this, I think this is, this applies across the board do is to not concede the use of these symbols just to far right extremists you know because let, letting those you know no, normal national official symbols become seen in public discourse as almost like the property of the far right i think is is a very bad thing especially as as that kind of tendency with would, would, uh, with would go on over time. In terms of how to do it, unfortunately, I don't really have an answer or a quick answer. But what I would say is just in in the context of media and public discourse, including, you know, communications, events, rallies, things like that, to not shy away from the presence of these symbols. Maybe you don't fly them everywhere in the exact same way that those on the far right would. But I think in general, yeah, do not, I think you're on the right track, which is do not concede all the ground to the far-right. Don't be like, oh, well, far-right likes to, like, oh, only in the Netherlands, only, uh, you know, only only farmers and, you know, strange QAnon-type people fly the Dutch flag. I don't want to do that anymore. I think that would not be a very good thing for, for, for the country that I'm in right now. Again, I hope that kind of answers your question or at least, yeah, helps.
0: Thanks, Michael. Um, we got a, a, about 10 minutes here with Michael Coborn uh, before we end uh, this stage talk. Um, so if you have a question, please put it in the chat. We've got another one here from Marmalade, Michael. And Marmalade says, thank you for an eye-opening talk. How do you approach the plausible deniability that far-right dog whistles use with preventing the co-opting of symbols i feel like that maybe speaks to the previous discussion that you were just having
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think what's what's key when trying to unpack or again to use the pretentious word to deconstruct the the use of those symbols is, is to do exactly that is to expose exactly what they're doing how they're doing it and why they're doing it and what they exactly what they want to do by it by it whether it's Using these, you know, why, explaining why, you know, why, in my view, using a term like globalist in the English language context is, you know, very much, I think, a dog whistle and, and other, other sorts of things like that. I think the key to not conceding the ground, especially if it's like a co opted symbol or an ambiguous symbol, is just not to completely concede ground to the far right extremists who want to use it. Like, I, I would imagine this this is not a subculture that I you know am, am part of, but say people who are into sort of neo-paganism, into Norse imagery or those whether they're into the symbolisms, the kind of subcultures around it, or whether they subscribe to those religious beliefs, I think the key and I, I think some of this does go on I think the key for like those kinds of subcultures would be to push back. And to be like, no, no, no. This, there, you know, this, the this Vegvisir or other other the hammer of Thor is not just. Your, it, this is not your symbol. You're you're perverting it, and you're 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 using it for the wrong reasons. And entering the discourse to make sure that people are aware of other interpretations of a symbol's use, and why certain types of far right actors are 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 co-opting and using those symbols.
0: Thanks Michael. I think we're going to continue with this theme here but perhaps take a, a closer look at the case of Ukraine. I feel like uh this question might be the topic of uh of its own probably series of lectures because it f- I feel like it's a heavy one. Probably um, yeah. So I'll, I'll just preface it that way. Um I'm not an expert by I'm not an expert period on this uh but I'll go ahead and ask a question cuz um, I think it's interesting. And it's from step. Hello step. and step says, Michael, how do you suggest that Ukrainians navigate the issue now and after the war of asov symbolism, including the wolf's angle on the one hand, they are displaying these far-right symbols, but on the other hand, uh, these are our armed forces and our heroes asks step uh, and they're defending us from this much more real, fascist and 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 terrorist threat again this is uh steps Mm -hmm. question here uh what do you think michael
1: i think i think ukrainians already are doing that and i you see that you you kind of saw that even before the invasion but i'm i think you really saw it also over the course of last year with you want i mean you want an example of why symbols are important you look at how some of these symbols that Azov, whether we're talking about the regiment specifically, or the, the broader Azov movement that has existed around it. Um, this, like the symbols that they used in 2014, 15, like especially the the regiment logo that had the black sun on it. You don't see that in an official context anymore. You will see it in other places. The wolf's angle like logo. Well, that's been. that's been modified even before the invasion, you don't see the symbolism used in exactly the same way. And I think the key for Ukrainians, not just going forward, but now, but also I I say this with some level of optimism, some level of optimism, because I see this going on, is the. it is not a case of the rest of Ukrainian media and society adapting to the symbols that Azov and other far-right elements have used. It's the far-right themselves realizing, you know, maybe we shouldn't use some of these symbols anymore, even if in some cases it's superficial, even if in some cases I think there's some element of game-playing and doublespeak Mm -hmm. with it. But I think what's key going forward is to recognize why some of the, the, especially the very specific symbols that were used in the past, like the, the Black Sun, but I mean, it's still being used, but in many places, but not in an official capacity. It's, an, it's important to understand where some of these symbols come from, what they mean to those who have, who have displayed them, what it means to those who promote them now, and, but also, and also what it means internationally to other people on the far right. So I, I think the key going forward for Ukraine is some of what you know I'd already seen going on even somewhat before the invasion was a bit more calling out in terms of when you'd see some of these symbols used knowingly or not in public places. You'd be like, um should you know should should we really be using this symbol? And I think one one well, maybe it's easy, but, you know, there are cases over, unfortunately, over the past, you know, 14 months of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. You know, there are images that do pop up, images and video that pop up in media and obviously get played up by pro-Russian and Russian media of some Ukrainian soldiers having far-right symbols or even neo-Nazi symbols on, on, on their, you know, on their person, whether knowingly or not. I think one key way to underscore how important those kinds of symbols are in a negative way is to just stop wearing those kinds of symbols. Even if it's such a small number of people doing it, having somebody with a black sun symbol getting photographed and then, you know, or even wear symbols like a Tottenkopf. Just even if it's only a handful of people who have those kinds of stupid symbols on, cut that out. And, of you know, then those symbols are less likely to, you know, enter, enter, n- not just discourse, but propaganda. And I think in general, I hope, I hope that maybe is a bit of a roundabout way to try to, to try to answer the question. But yeah, I think the key is just to do some of what I've talked about in this article, which is, you know. De- deconstruct the use of some of these symbols. Acknowledge that there is that there are contradictions with the use of these symbols. Acknowledge that you know that there are t- complicated contexts to put it lightly for some of these symbols. But the, to to not just take the far right's explanation at face value when it decides when it explains its use of a symbol a certain way.
0: Great. Thanks, Michael. I'm going to try to condense two questions into one final question, because we are just about done here. Um, We got about four minutes left. I do always have a hard out at 6pm. I got to run out the door. Yeah. For reasons that I will not explain, uh, <laughs> I just have to uh, I have a heart out at six. So uh, t- I'm going to try my, to condense two questions my, here.
1: Mine's too mixed sandwich. So. <laughs> uh,
0: the questions are from Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy, and from Intergalactic Cat. And uh, I'm not going to do a good job at, uh, at combining them. The sentiment, I feel, is the same. Essentially, the question is, you take a look at history, Michael. You take a look at the the activities of far-right groups going back you know, hundreds of years in the United States, you look at the 1920s and 1930s in Germany. uh, As a person who has been studying the far right for as many years as you have, where do you see the far right today? Again, sort of with that historical look, um, where do you see uh, far right activities, maybe let's say on a global scale, um, uh, today in the year
1: 2023? Uh, I'm worried about where things go from here in some countries more than others and in some contexts more than others. What worries me is I th- one thing that it really worries me and what I unfortunately, I think, expect to see in the future across a lot of different countries is much more mainstreaming of the so-called Great Replacement conspiracy theory. I expect to see much more mainstreaming of, of conspiracy theories around white genocide and the claims around you know that uh, uh you know consp- there's some sort of conspiracy to bring non-european people into europe to kill off the white race i think you're going to see more and i think you are seeing it more and more those kinds of ideas becoming more and more mainstream i'm already seeing that across a lot of different countries i think I mean, one thing I've it's it's something I've said kind of offhand and a bit uh, tongue in cheek, but I think absolutely true is related to one of the neo-Nazi concepts that I talk about in the article. The fourteen words. I'm not going to tell you what those fourteen words are. You can figure it out if you don't know. Um, but that's an, invariably a neo-Nazi slogan. But those fourteen words are going to become more mainstream as time goes on. And that worries me. And the, the last point I'll make before 6 o'clock is, um, even though most of my work is focused on Central and Eastern Europe, uh, there is one country whose far-right scene, scenes worries me more than any other country. And it is a country that I don't actually spend a lot of time researching. And that country is the United States. Wow. And I'll leave, that... leave you all with some nice happy thoughts
0: on that bombshell. I mean, I hate to end it on such a, (laughs) such a cliffhanger. And yeah, somewhat of a negative note, I suppose with that concern, but Hey, let's, let's try to turn it into a positive thing. You know, if this is something that concerns you, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do. You can get involved in all kinds of different levels. Uh, right, Michael, there's activism, there's research that you could do. Um, I don't know, maybe I'll, 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 I'll break my rule of having to run out the door at 6 PM. People want to help out, sort of get involved in this kind of stuff. What would you recommend?
1: Um, educating yourself, learning about why why some of these narratives that are used by the far right are so emotionally powerful with certain kinds of people. Even not not even, but especially people who you would see as more mainstream, more "quote unquote" normal people who you would never paint for a second as extremists. I would say understand why some of these narratives have that appeal. Uh, it, you can, if there are family members or people in your social circle who are who you think are falling into these kinds of worlds, to push back against them. Uh, depending on the kind of person that you are, the kind of political leanings you might have, the type of job that you do or don't do, maybe activism is your thing. Maybe it's not. It's not my thing. That's why I've been in, involved in journalism and in research, in in my own way, pushing back against some of these dangerous tendencies that I see across all our societies. There is always a way to contribute to that if it's something you feel strongly about, and it can take about a hundred different ways, online, offline, some sort of back backdoor ways that you might not even think of at the time, but a. Uh, before, before we break, yeah, I would just recommend to people, if, if you want to, you know, pester me with questions, do so on the far right, uh, the far right monitoring channel, because as some of you know, I'm, I'm there and I'll see, I'll see your questions, I'll see thoughts and I'll, and it's a great place to have discussions about some of these pessimistic or not so pessimistic things.
0: Well, there we go. I feel a lot better with that answer there, Michael. Get involved. Educate yourself. That's good. Let's have there. You
1: get involved. You're not. None of us. None of us are powerless. Yes, some of these things can be pretty damn depressing, but we, and if if it's something that we feel strongly about, we can combat it in our own ways. And combating, quote unquote, doesn't have to mean going out on the streets and being an activist or calling yourself an activist. There are there are many different. This is going to sound so cliched. There are many many ways that you can you can help create a better world. So you can cue some music, like sitcom, <laughs> happy music. now.
0: Thank you so much, Michael. Uh, and thank you everybody for your questions. Uh, again, this has been Michael Coborn. He is the lead researcher at Bellingcat on uh, the Bellingcat monitoring project, which looks at uh, international far right activities. Michael Coborn. Thank you so much again. Thanks guys. Take it easy. All right, have a good one, everybody. Thank you for coming. And this will be on SoundCloud next week. So have a good weekend. And thanks again, Michael. Thank you for listening to the Stage Talk. If you'd like to catch a Stage Talk live and ask the guest questions, join the Bellingcat Discord server by visiting www.discord.gg forward slash Bellingcat. The music you've heard is titled 1983 by Ben Elson and is courtesy of Epidemic Sound.